Hello and welcome to the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. I'm Harry Bliss, CEO and co-founder of Champion Health, and today we're joined by Dr. Dwight Turner, Senior Lecturer in Humanistic Psychology at the University of Brighton. Dwight is also a private psychotherapist, activist, writer and public speaker of issues of race and difference when it comes to psychotherapy. Today we're going to be discussing making mental health more representative and inclusive all the way through to how we can transition university students into our workforce seamlessly in the near future. Welcome to the podcast, Dwight. Hello, Dwight. How are you? I'm very well. Very well. Nice to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. So I've seen a lot of your stuff on LinkedIn um, and I thought I need to reach out to you. And I know that our audience are always wanting thought leaders to come on to this podcast. Mm. And so a huge warm welcome to you, first of all. Um, one of the things I'd love to just discuss is to learn more about why you got into psychotherapy um, and obviously a senior lecturer as well um, sure. in mental health and psychotherapy at the University of Brighton. I'd just love to learn more about that journey um, into that. Well, it's, it's, it's a strange one because I left I, when I left school, I didn't leave with any sort of degree or anything like that. I actually served in the military for a couple of years, of well, six years in fact, several, several of those were in Germany. And when I left the military, I wasn't really doing very much. And that was at the end, very end of a relationship that I'd had, which I didn't, I didn't handle the ending very well, basically. And because of that, I ended up in therapy. And as part of that whole process, my therapist actually suggested that I, I sought out some, I did, I did a, like a workshop, like a year's workshops on self-development, which turned out to be a foundation course. I enjoyed it so much. I stayed. It's one of those sorts of things. And, um, you know, four years after that, I ended up as a psychotherapist in, you know, practicing in and around London at the time. So... It's, it, it came out of my own experience of having my own therapy, basically. Fantastic. And I think from so many people that I speak to in the field of mental health, it is often from lived experience um, why they get into those arenas. And you can be a lot more empathetic, um, mm. I, I guess, if, if you've experienced many of the things that your patients may have gone through. One of the questions I've got is around the, the stigma mm. around mental health. It's been it's widely known that there is a stigma around mental health. Yeah. Around 90% of people that experience mental health difficulties also experience stigma mm. along with it. Has the stigma reduced since the start of the pandemic? Or have you actually found that it's increased? Big question for 12 yeah, minutes as well. It's a brilliant question. I think it's a brilliant question to ask. Because I would, I'd actually say, I think, because we're, we're, we've raised so much awareness around mental health during the pandemic, and you know what the pandemic has actually done is it's forced us back in on ourselves, in my view. You would, you can look at it from the, through a, 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 the, the lens of Carl Jung and say we're doing a lot of shadow work, if you like, collectively. And not everyone's going to be used to that. But I think that increased, increased levels of stress, um, addictions and so on that have come with the pandemic have meant that people have had to seek out help in ways that they haven't done so beforehand. So to more directly answer your question, I think the stigma sort of lessened slightly because I think there are more people who are actually reach, reaching out for help. Even on a personal level, I haven't been as busy as I have been during this pandemic, which, which is a strange thing to say. Um, and it's not just clients coming through, it's like colleagues who need additional support or whatever else. I think we're all increasingly aware of how our mental health has been impacted by staying at home and wading through the anxiety, the existential angst of this pandemic. And in terms of the supply and demand um, of therapist to therapy, mm. is there still a major issue in the UK around that and the lack of training potentially with therapists? And can you see that shifting across the next next few years? Um, I, I, it's a, another question. I don't think. I, I hope it will shift. I know you always hear rumours about the government saying they're going to put more money into mental health resources and stuff like that. And I do. My sense is that there aren't enough qualified psychotherapists. There aren't. There isn't a, a wide enough demographic of psychotherapists as well because it's not just one yeah. um, cultural group or gender or whatever else who are suffering from mental health difficulties. 
these are things that are happening across the board. Um, I think one of the, the, the great things I've heard from, from governing bodies within psychotherapy, for example, especially with the pandemic and the, the murder of George Floyd, is the, the, the idea that there needs to be increased levels of, of input into on bursaries for um, therapists of colour, for example, and uh, from other minority groups. So I think there is a shifting, a great, growing awareness that there needs to be a wider uptake of psychotherapists, not just from the more traditional streams of, of say, the white middle class, um, the white middle classes basically within this country. And that's what you're used to seeing with therapists traditionally. Um, and as you say, the statistics state that everyone has mental health and yeah. all types of demographics experience mental health difficulties. Mm. Do you think it is the funding and is there anything else around awareness to be able to get the different demographics into therapy so we can have more inclusive and I suppose representative um, therapy sessions going forward. I think funding is a major one because you have to look at the, the class distinctions between the therapists and the demographics that they're often working with, and especially when they're when they're in training, doing like placements and so on. Um, and you know, people from from those sort of lower class or immigrant sort of or, or, or communities aren't always going to have the funding to actually pay out what it can be. You know, you're looking at around twenty thousand pounds for a psychotherapy course these days, probably a bit less for a counselling course, but that's a lot of money to have to try and find to actually start to retrain. Um, you know, even I struggled to find the money so much so that I ended up with far too many credit cards at the time. It's a whole different story, but it's so. I think that's a major major factor. I do also think that looking at what particular communities need in terms of sort of psychological support is a massive area as well, because often this sort of one size fits all um, Eurocentric way of teaching and practicing psychotherapy doesn't work. For, for different communities, you know, for you know, for say the Muslim community, which is more of a we community, the idea that we just have a one-to-one relationship is hugely problematic, and there are also the pandemics that go within within that come up within that. So how we need to be, um, we need to start to think with a lot more nuance, if you like, as to how you know, how are we working and how are we then not serving communities that we do have access to, and how could we tweak and grow the community of psychotherapy to meet those areas. And I guess a lot of the language is is tailored towards potentially a white middle class population when it sure. comes to mental health as well. Sure. Um, one of the big questions that our members and our clients ask for us, especially the members that have inclusivity and diversity at the forefront of their organisation, which so many seem to be doing now, which is fantastic. Mm. How do they tweak their language to be able to meet the needs of different demographics and potentially hard to reach populations that don't access therapy the, as much as a white middle class population may? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, the first step is, is to look at, okay, how, how, how are their processes excluding those demographics, first of all? Because it's got to start from home, if you like. Um, I know, you know, the, the, probably the most lazy phrase to use, like, like, like decolonizing one's working practices. I don't like using the phrase, but you still see where I'm going. It's, mm-hmm. it's making it, you're, you're sort of taking what you know and actually saying, okay, how can we translate this and what needs to happen within those de- um, demographics? It could also be about actually actively working within those demographics, actually recruit and train up participants who can then go back in and and actually do the work themselves. There are a good number of, say, Muslim uh, therapists who are working in the the communities right now. There's always room for more. There are a good number of LGBTQ sort of uh, therapists as well who work in their communities, and there's always room for more. Um, But often the the additional training they have to do comes out comes from outside of their core courses, which I think is a huge yeah. problem a lot of the time. Often have to seek out access to say, you know, pink therapies they, they, with their wonderful resources, or the you know, Muslim therapist networks, those sorts of areas, for example, or Barton for black and uh, black African and Asian sort of therapists. 
Absolutely fascinating. And there's so much. We've got a lot of, um, of heads of DNI um, listening to this podcast as well, and I'm sure there's so much that they can take away from that. I'm going to just move on to, to the university population now. Sure. Obviously, as a senior lecturer, you deal with university students regularly. And we spoke about this just before you came on the podcast, that the only time I've struggled with my mental health mm. was in the first year at university. And all of my friends, having spoken to them after university, I found they'd also experienced mental health difficulties mm, mm, at mm. university, all of the transitions that are going on. Do you see a change in the university population um, and an increase in mental health issues? And I guess the key reason for asking that in this podcast is they're going to be coming into the workplace in two, three, four years' yeah, time, yeah. and any initiatives need to factor in that cohort. So just yeah. really keen to hear your thoughts and, and your experience. Again, it's a great question to ask. I think one of the reasons is, I think the phrase that you use there, which is key for me, is transitions, that movement from home and the, the security of home in, out into the world in a way. So I think we underestimate how big a step that actually is for uh, for students. And we don't really prepare um our student populations for that that big step out into the world and into the university sort of landscape where they have to fend for themselves, support themselves, maybe they have to get themselves a job, maybe they don't, they meet people they've never met before from around the country. These are massive things. And I think sometimes universities as a, uh, I can't say across the board, but sometimes we struggle to actually meet the mental health requirements of those, of, of the, especially the first year students. Mm. Um, you can come up at any time during one's, one's career. But I think, especially in those early stages, it, you know, we, 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 often the universities offer like maybe like six or 12 sessions of therapy, which often isn't enough. So the more that we can do to support the mental health of our students from the start, uh, the better served they'll be further down the line. But I'd also add to that, I think part of this support, obviously probably needs to go back to school times as well. In school, mm -hmm. mental health, support in schools is vastly underfunded in this country. Um, there aren't enough good sort of CBT or play therapists and other people, other professionals working in schools who can then prepare students for that transition out into the work, out into the university place and then the workforce. workforce. But I think the third part to it as well is, this is kind of one of your earlier questions about the raised, you know, raised understanding of mental health awareness. I think one thing that we are doing very well now is that we have a younger generation who are very clearly talking about the mental health challenges in a way that perhaps my generation didn't really do. Mm. You just had to get on with it. You know, you're bound by toxic masculinity, you don't, you, so you don't talk about your feelings, as opposed to now being coming out and saying, you know what, I don't feel so great, I feel low, I feel tearful, I feel whatever, I feel angry, but I need, and I need some help around that. So I think the more that universities can do, and that may include increasing funding for support services for, for mental health, the better they will support their university cohort and the better they'll transition through the courses, this is an important part, and then into the workforce beyond that. I think that's a, it's just is the most crucial point and you mentioned around the financial transitions yeah. into universities and the, again there's a tr transition not just from school to university but then university into the workplace as well. Mm. Um, the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast is far too short um, and that was one of the things we mentioned at the start <laughs> and for today's session that was I've learned so much um, myself and I've had front row tickets for it but I'm sure our audience have as well. Where can we find out a bit more information about yourself Dwight? Um, and the, the, the therapies that you do as well? Sure. Well, I have a website. It's simply dwightturnercounseling.co.uk. Um, I'm always on LinkedIn, messing around, setting something up. I'm also on Twitter as well, making a bit of mischief here and there. I have a book out, which is called Intersections of Privilege and Otherness in Counseling and Psychotherapy. Feel free to give Jeff 
Bezos your money for his next rocket to the moon. <laughs> um, but I'm always around, so please do Google me and come and come, you know, give me a shout out as and when you need to. Fantastic. We'll add a link in the uh, the podcast bio as well. But Dwight, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. For more exclusive insights and content around workplace well-being, please subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.